Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Bellerín, qué golazo. Magnífico. Gol. Qué golazo de Bellerín, gol del Arsenal. Gran gol de Bellerín, 1-0. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, how was your weekend? It was brilliant, yeah. I um, I was at Bestival, uh, a music festival on the Isle of Wight. Right. Um, performing a bit of comedy down there. So it was quite a, an intense weekend, but it- I got back late last night. Right. And um, I'm recovering. Okay. So yeah, it was, it was enjoyable. Uh, anyone good on the um, on the the line up there? Oh, Duran Duran, right? For one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jurassic Five were very good. Chemical Brothers, excellent. Oh, yeah. Although, breaking news: not real brothers. Whole thing's a sham. Oh fuck's sake! I know. I, Ma- I was. I'd really enjoyed it until that point, and then next the thing you'll died. be telling me that Daft Punk aren't actually robots. Well. I mean, if I found that out, I think it would be the, the end for me, to be honest with you. Yeah. But good fun. Um, anyway, so it was it was, it was was lovely, yeah, and good weather, fortunately. Although sleeping in a tent, that's not really sleeping, is it? No, you know, you see, this is my whole problem with festivals. I like the idea of them, but, mm. you know, I don't like sleeping in tents. I think we have, no. as a species, evolved beyond that. You know, unless, you, unless yeah. you're into camping in the same way that some people are into being pissed on, during sex, mm. you know, there's no mm. there's no need for it. Well, the problem with festivals as well, there's quite a high chance that you'll be camping and pissed on simultaneously. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, there is the other thing about festivals. You know, I, I I'm you know I, I'm all for sharing and and being part of this great big world of ours. But you know, there's there's a, the whole toilet situation is just not good. It is not good. No, you know? um, I was actually there was a, a point during the festival where they were piping waste out of the toilet and mm. this pipe burst and I saw this happen quite extraordinary scenes uh, sort of a fountain of filth spraying oh, into the air God. that is like my this is genuinely one of, one of my worst nightmares um funnily enough speaking of festivals um on the uh, podcast network that I have uh, mm. comedian Joe Rooney who you mm-hmm. might remember as um father Damo from father Ted Right. He's the one who wanted to know if you like Blur or Oasis. He was hanging yeah. around with Father Dougal. But anyway, he does a show and he went down to the Electric Picnic, um, which is a big festival here, did his show um, recording some comedians. But I had a little incident where using one of those, I guess toilet is not quite the right word to use, one of those things that you can do stuff in and that everybody... Right. But he, he rather unfortunately dropped his quite expensive recording device into one of those. And oh, no. <laughs> literally had no choice. But he had two choices. One was to write off a very expensive recorder. The other was to, to fish it out <laughs> and, uh, and, and work with it beyond that. Wow. And presumably without the aid of a fishing rod. No, no. He had to use Try his to own... to catch a fish <laughs> by hand in a sea of poo. Oh. <laughs> Uh, um, not ideal. Not ideal at all. But look, I think he, he wiped it off and then put it under people's noses to do recordings, so it seemed to work out okay. Lovely. They must have really enjoyed that. How about uh, your weekend? Any incident? 
Uh, no, it was quite quiet. <laughs> there well, was that's no. Good. That's good too. Yeah, there were there were no fountains of of slurry and and filth involved. Sure. Um, I think that's like if you're at home, that's ideal, really. Yeah, absolutely, but particularly at home. You know, at least if you're somewhere else. Long may else. that continue. Yes. Uh, so, no, pretty quiet, but uh, quite enjoyable because the football was good. Um, we won. Other people lost. There's some good goals. So, you know, all in all, a, a pretty good weekend. Well, listen, I mean, I, at this point, I should come clean with you and the listeners. The, I've seen extended highlights of our game against Stoke, but that's about it for the weekend. So I'll, I'll be playing the naive today. Mm. Uh, you'll have to sort of fill me in on the broader events. Okay. And I'll sort of stagger through my commentary and okay. uh, appear to make it look like I know what I'm talking about. Where, where would you like to start? Where, where should we begin on that? Just general news, world affairs, I imagine. Um, just what's <laughs> going on out there. Uh, maybe we should stick to the football, though. Just okay, to, well, let's narrow it down. Um, okay. No, so listen, I, I did see extend highlights of the game. It seemed like a match in which, forgive me if I've got the wrong impression, Arsenal played pretty well, defensively solid, created chances, but just weren't... It's that phrase, It's the phrase of the season. They weren't efficient enough to sort of create the gulf in the scoreline that perhaps there might have been. Yeah, correct. You know, Arsenal played very well. I think the performance was excellent. You know, with with a bit more hindsight, with a bit more distance between the frustration of the missed chances, overall the performance was very, very good. Uh, solid at the back. That's three clean sheets in a row now, which is good. Yep, very strong. Um, so three clean sheets in a row. Uh, exciting attacking options. Cazorla was fantastic. Macedoza was fantastic. Hector Bellerin down the right-hand side, fantastic. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, superb. Uh, lots of chances. Again, the the I suppose the comfort of missing chances is the fact that you're making them in the first place. You know, we'd be a lot more worried if we weren't creating goal-scoring chances. We did, and we are, and we did score a couple of goals. Um, have you got your mobile phone there on? Oh, gosh, yeah. Is that making a noise? Yeah, it's doing the old... It's on airplane mode now. Okay, that's good. Sorry about that. That's cool. Still doing it. Maybe it's my phone. But anyway... Anyway, let me throw it further away. Yeah, right. there we go. There we are. My, mine's over the other side of the room now as well. Um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, goals. Good goals. Theo Walcott scored a really, really very good goal indeed. Um, what a brilliant pass! Fantastic pass from. Well, actually, from, what a brilliant tackle as well. I loved. I loved in the post-match uh, interview uh, that Theo Walcott did. He said, "It's the little things that you might not notice, like Francis Coquelin winning the ball." It was like. Did people not notice Coquelin thrusting himself into the challenge uh, and and quite very mm. obviously um, winning the ball? But yes, great tackle, great pass, great run from Walcott, kept himself onside. Uh, the first touch was excellent. The second touch was the finish, which was which was brilliant. And uh, you know, all credit to him for that. It was it was the most difficult of the chances that he had on the day. Um, you know, if you yes. if you'd if you'd said which uh, which of the chances uh, he was most likely to score, it probably would be that one because that's what Theo Walcott does. You know, he does he frustrates you by missing the easy stuff and then does something that you go, well, why can't you do the easy stuff? But um, you know, it was great. It was a really really it, good goal. It was a really good goal, and yeah, I agree. Bizarre because from what I saw, he had a couple of much easier chances. I think of the one particularly. Uh, was it Alexis who had the header uh, against the woodwork and yeah. then the rebound came to him he sort of shanked it wide mm. um, and I, I, yeah you do feel like some players had that happened would have been met with kind of howls of derision and I suppose the one thing you can say about Walcott is that 
his confidence uh, <laughs> seems somewhat <laughs> impenetrable at times. You know what I mean? Like that will happen, but you never particularly worry that it's going to affect him. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's capable of doing that, but then the next chance he'll take with a plum. Yeah, it's really strange. And he, he, even his post-match reaction is like, "Yeah, I probably should have scored more, but you know, at least I was in the right positions." You know, mm. there, there does seem to be that kind of <laughs> very focused. Um, thing about his own his own ability and his own confidence. So from that yeah. point of view, I mean the one that he headed over as well that 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 really should have been a goal. Oh, yeah. um, I love that was an unbelievable cross. Yeah, great cross. I love Bellerin's reaction to it as well when Walcott headed it over. He just kind of turned away and threw his arms in the air like, "Oh, what the <laughs> fuck? Come on, what more can I yeah. do out here?" But um, that was on a plate. It really was. It really was. Um, I suppose we should mention as well a fantastic goalkeeping display from from Jack Butland. Um, mm. Loath as I am to give any credit to any Stoke player for anything ever, he he was really good. Now we did make it easy for him a couple of times, but he did pull off some some fantastic saves. Uh, after our discussion of should we shoot from distance more, Lauren Koscielny, did you see that? Oh, yeah, I did see that. Come on, you love that, don't you? Center half striding through and then just giving it a smack. It was almost Vermalen esque. Yeah, good to know that he listens as well. Listens to the Askast extra. Yeah, 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 yeah. Taking the feedback on board, but for Butler sure. was very good. Only twenty two, big prospect. Definitely. Yeah. He should be one that's on our our watch list now. I think. Yeah. Yeah. The radar. Yeah. The radar. Keeping radar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. So I, and I and Alexis, bit rusty maybe still in front of goal. Yeah, still a little bit. Well, I mean, he didn't have the header that led to the Walcott miss was probably his most clear cut chance. But uh, I didn't realize yeah. until I watched it again that it was a good save. Uh, it was going in, but mm. the, the keeper made a, a fantastic save. You could argue that from there he probably should score, but the run and the cross from Cazorla was was excellent, uh, and, and some credit's got to go to the goalkeeper there. The one that he hit off the post, I think it was a shot from just outside the box, so again, not really a, a clear-cut chance, but I think the goals will, will come for him, and I think there probably is still just a touch of rustiness to him given the lateness uh, of his arrival back from the from the Copa America this summer. Um, yeah. And I think once the, once the floodgates open for him, the goals, the goals will start flowing. And uh, Olivier Giroud got his goal as well when he came on. He did, what did get you make of the, the celebration or, or lack thereof? I think he, you know, I don't think he's a, a stupid man. So he must be aware of some of the criticism that was going around after the, the game against France. Or the game um, for France, I uh, should say, against Serbia. Against it? Serbia, yeah, he missed a couple of chances, and there was some, there was some criticism of him there, which he responded to publicly in the press. Um, you know, he just said, "Look, I'll, I'll keep going, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, as you would expect, but you know, that kind of rattled on during the week, and I think he he was aware of it. And also for the second game in succession, he's left on the bench. You know, Theo Walcott giving the nod up front. Um, he came on, he got involved pretty well. Uh, the first real involvement that he had was missing a chance from seven yards that he pulled wide, like the the one against Serbia, like just wide, inches wide of the, of the far post. And then he, he got himself a goal. So I think this is, uh, I suppose it speaks to an awareness of his own situation. Like, you don't go careering around the pitch celebrating like you've won the World Cup. goes back to what we were talking about with celebrations uh, last week. Just a sort of awareness of the whole the whole situation as it was. And there was one late on. He should have had a penalty. 
uh, it wasn't mentioned because it's not something that tends to get mentioned when you win 2-0 fairly comfortably and in the last minute your striker is very clearly dragged down, uh, had, had his shirt pulled. He should have had a penalty uh, in the, in the yeah. last uh, couple of minutes. So, look, it won't do his confidence any harm whatsoever. Uh, there was a good uh, rendition of his song after the goal. That will help him out. And, look, all you can, all you can look for from these players is is for them to to get goals and perhaps to become a little bit more efficient uh, when they do get their chances. So maybe Giroud has a 50% um, uh, conversion rate from his chances against uh, against Stoke. Missed a bad one, scored a good one. And if it helps boost his confidence and belief a little bit along the way, then, then fine, that's good. Yeah, good. I think he might need that because unlike Walcott, he is a player who does seem affected by what happens in games and the criticism around it. Do you know mm. what I mean? I think he, he takes it yeah. on board more uh, and it, it does seem to influence his performances. So anything that, that lifts his confidence yeah. is probably a good thing. I actually thought Arsene might start with him for that reason, you know, when he's a little bit more vulnerable, show some faith in him. But mm. I suppose the, the decision to go with Walcott probably paid off given that he opened the scoring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens on Wednesday uh, for the Champions mm. League and I think we'll probably come to that uh, during the questions during the second half mm-hmm. of the show. But yeah, look, he scored. He's got two goals so far this season, which is more than Aguero. It's more than Costa. Early days yet, but you know, it's... It's more he, than anyone else in our squad, isn't it? I yeah, he's he's our leading goal scorer up there with, uh, with Owen. Um, yeah. So you know, from that point of view, it'll be good for him and good for us ultimately if he can uh, if he can start to feel a bit better about himself. But I think you're right; he doesn't necessarily exist in the same kind of bubble of his own awesomeness like Theo, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's good and bad to that, and there's good to 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 the way Theo um, views himself. Like if if his confidence is impenetrable, like you say, then you know. There are upsides to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are bad cases. You think of Nicholas Bentner, potentially. <laughs> but, you know, they, they think of a good cases as well. A guy like Jens Lehmann, who, when you play in goal, inevitably you will make mistakes. I think at the extremes of the pitch, up front and in goal, is probably where it's most useful to have that sure. kind of personality because big errors can change games and you need to you know, survive that and, and maintain mm. some base level of confidence. Yeah, I just to be able to compar- goal scorer, that's yeah. ideal. To be able to compartmentalize things in the sense that it's okay, well I've missed a chance. I'm not gonna get, you know, too uh too dismayed about the whole thing. Mm. Um mm. but maybe just a bit more awareness of, you know, you should be doing a bit more with some of those chances. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's being harsh. But look, uh two nil win, very good, and a clean sheet as we said. Petr Cech didn't have a lot to do. But no. um, at the back, uh, wow, I think it, it's um, it's very promising what we've got going on at the back because people are looking at, you know, uh, Hector Bellerin as a really exciting young fullback and he was outstanding, outstanding uh, on Saturday yeah. against Stoke. But on the other side, I, I really love the way Nacho Monreal has just developed into this hugely consistent uh, left-back Attacking-wise, defensive-wise, he always gives you an outlet on the left-hand side. Defensively, he's, he's really solid. I think the two fullbacks are are excellent. Um, uh, and that's playing a big part in in why we're so solid defensively. But uh, Gabriel has come in alongside Lauren Koscielny, did really, really well, and added that bit of that bit of nastiness. Did you see that incident with Arnautovic? Yeah, yeah, I did see that. That was I good. I enjoyed that 
well, I mean, I think we probably all remember it was Arnautovic who gave Matteo Debussy that fateful shove into the hoardings, was it not? Um, is that right? It is. It was him, yeah. It was yeah, him. so I don't mind seeing a bit sort of dished back, to be honest with you. No, me neither. Me neither. Particularly as it was Arnautovic who was swinging arms in the first place. And, you know, when he got a bit back, then he, he crumpled to the floor. Um, mm. You know, if you're going to dish it out, be prepared to take it. And I like that Gabriel wasn't going to... Uh, wasn't going to sort of just back off when a guy was uh, flailing his arms around. And uh, I, I really like Gabriel's reaction to it as well. Arnautovic standing there sort of pointing at him, going, oh, I'm going to get you, fucker. And it was like, yeah. He never went near him the rest of the game because I was waiting just because uh, of an incident like that. Sometimes the next coming together, if Arnautovic really had anything about him, you know, if he had any real stones, he would have he would have left one in on, on Gabriel, you know? Yeah. Uh, but he didn't. And that just shows that yeah. he's a cowardly little wanker um, absolutely and I completely agree on Monreal as well like the way he has you know a year ago it was kind of neck and neck almost between him and Kieran Gibbs and the season before that Monreal had become this heavily criticised figure and now he's so established as the first choice left back I was looking into this uh, I think last week and just looking at some of his stats across the seasons and one thing that's really interesting is that in his first uh, six months in English football we arrived in January mm. he won um, 40% of his headed duels mm-hmm. and now he's up very he's like close to 60 57 and I think that shows that demonstrates partly the way he's like adapted to the physical side of the game here yeah and that that spell at centre half really helped him become a better all round fullback. and I, I just think yeah he's one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment mm. it used to be a case if you remember a few years ago that one of the opposition's key tactics against us particularly certain opposition was to launch a diagonal or launch the ball long towards the left back area where we were a little bit susceptible and I think it's one of those things that's obvious if you watch if you watch the games Monreal is really good in those situations he's Mm -hmm. very dominant he's very strong he flattens people actually from time to time you'll see him go up same way Sanya used to for uh, for years he'd be really really strong uh, and and that kind of tactic has has um, seemed to drop off a bit. Absolutely, yeah. He's, I mean, it's it's a testament to him really that it has. Mm. Uh, other stuff going on in the Premier League this weekend. Uh, Chelsea lost. Yes, I heard. Was it a, a hat trick from Stephen Naismith? A hat trick from Stephen Naismith. A perfect hat trick too. I'd... Left foot, right foot header. Really? Mm. Wow, I've never thought I'd see the day. Yeah. He, am I right in thinking he came off the bench? Yeah, he did as a yeah. replacement for Besic. So yeah. They got an injury bad. early on. It was Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, what on earth is going on there? I don't know. I don't know. Chelsea. We're we're probably going to discuss Chelsea a bit more um after I the guess, break, yeah. I guess, because there've been, the been a few questions, so we'll do that. Uh but your favorite your favorite fella, Tim Timothy Sherwood? Yes, it was a good weekend for me in that respect, certainly. Mm. Um, I, I did enjoy that, I have to say. had that on the radio. Um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I didn't feel too much sympathy for poor Tim. No, that's a, that's a surprise yeah. to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Manchester United beat Liverpool. Um, yes. What a goal from Ben Teke. Mm. Mm. And... <laughs> and Anthony Marshall worth all the money it turns out well yeah I mean that's that's what that's what all that money gets I mean that's a good goal uh, in fairness but I'm always I'm always kind of happier when a player like that starts well I go back to my right. I go back to my um, analogy 
where things don't necessarily kick off the way you would like them to, um, and the player becomes a slow burner, you know? The talent ekes out over the course of their career, rather than this flash-in-the-pan, one goal on his debut, everyone thinks he's brilliant, expectations that were already high are now even higher. It's like the catchiest song you ever heard, and then after three listens, you hate it again, you know? Right. See what I mean? See where I'm going with this? You don't, really. I, I... No, I don't. But you know, let's pretend. And, and, and yeah, an incredible strike, Benteke. I think he's going to be. I think it's going to be a good signing for Liverpool. I, I do think over the course of the season. I think, you know, it's a lot of money, thirty-two million pound. But when you look at what's paid for someone like Marshall, it suddenly doesn't seem too mm. unreasonable. Yeah. Um, and I think he's a very promising player. Yeah. I didn't know he had quite that in his locker, though. Whew. I mean, it was brilliant. No, I don't think anybody did. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know where he's been keeping that. Yeah. Maybe Tim Sherwood. Do, do you know what probably yeah. happened? You know what probably happened? Go on. During his summer holidays, just before he joined Liverpool, he probably was at an airport somewhere. You know, footballers are always hanging around airports. Yes, they're home from home. Yeah, it is. You know, the Heathrow here, Gatwick there, Luton. You always see a footballer at Luton Airport going off somewhere. Stansted. Yeah. But look, he probably ran into Julio Baptista. You said to him, look, you know where your game is missing? More overhead kicks. You need to get more mm-hmm. overhead kicks going on here, man. And that and that's I it. Think, he took it know, on board. No one's sorry to see an overhead kick, are they? No. I mean, the problem is if it goes wrong, it can go very wrong. Mm, there's always the danger of, you know, breaking your neck. Well, there's that. Looking stupid was what I was more worried about. Well, I, I, could, I would take looking stupid over... You know, paralysis. That is true. Although we know how much I care about my reputation. I once consented to have sex with a cow on this podcast to protect it. Yes. So um, I'll go <laughs> I'll go with the broken neck. I'd rather be paralyzed for the rest of my life than look slightly sheepish for 30 seconds. Although it wouldn't Please. be 30 seconds, would it? Because it would, it would live forever on Vines. That's it, on the internet. And, yeah. Come on. Well, that's assuming Can't that any game that. you were playing in was being filmed. See? True, true. That, that is, is the true. thing. Well, uh, don't rule it out. I don't <laughs> know. Um, cam- there are camera phones everywhere. Uh, and also, this weekend, spare a thought for Emmanuel Adebayor. Emmanuel Adebayor, yeah. Released, Released by Tottenham. from Tottenham. Well, I mean, that's... The ultimate insult. <laughs> but it's also like, I guess, being released from some kind of... Guantanamo, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Some, some terrible situation. I now cure yeah. you of Is this herpes. Is it a herpes. good thing or a bad thing? Should we be sorry for him or should we be annoyed that something good has happened to him? Yeah, that is the question. What do you think? It's, gen- it's a genuine conundrum. Mm. I guess it, it depends on what happens next, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you go, I mean, there's, I don't know, the only way is up, surely, for him. Well, yeah, you would like to think so. Well, would you like to think so? I don't know what I'd like to think about uh, Adi Bayor. It's a confusing situation, I think, the more we delve into this. Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated relationship anyway. Well, it's not that complicated. I think he's sort of universally disliked among Arsenal fans these days. But he... And now Tottenham fans. Yeah, I don't know. This is bringing... Yeah. This this, this, uh, creates some kind of agreement between Arsenal fans and Tottenham fans. So it's a bad thing, right? nothing like a, a pariah to unite communities. I, yeah, I don't know what to make of all that. He's probably had a handsome payoff as well, I imagine. I would imagine so. He doesn't tend to do much without ensuring that his uh, 
his palms are crossed with silver. No, certainly not kicker football. Mm. So who knows where he'll turn up. Where the, did it all go continues. wrong? Um, you quite liked him, I seem to recall, as a player. A bit. I did. I did. Well, I do think that, you know, uh, a sort of when he first arrived, I did think he was great for us. He had so much energy and uh, willingness to run, and that really faded <laughs> um, once the goals came in, bizarrely. Mm. Uh, I think as his ego inflated to a kind of Walcott territory and possibly beyond, it all went wrong there. That 30-goal mm. season was sort of the death of his career. It really was. It really was. Maybe he can only do one thing, like I can score goals or I can run or I can run not score goals, or I don't know. Who knows? I won't do both. I refuse to do both. Does seem like um, a you know a, a wasted talent. I know he's got some you know he's come from a difficult background and a, a strange family background also, which um which probably has affected his character in certain ways. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't imagine there'll be too many people with a great deal of sympathy for him. Perhaps Tim Sherwood will. If rumours are to be believed, Aston Villa said to be interested in taking him as a free agent. So, oh yeah, okay. uh, what what a what a unholy union. Well, they be. they can they can salute each other all day long on the training ground, Captain Tim, Captain Emmanuel. They can you know do the the thing. Maybe oh. a nightmare, a nightmare in claret and blue. All right, okay. Well, we'll wait and see what happens there. Now we're going to take a break. We're back with your questions in part two. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions that you send us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog using the hashtag Arscast Extra. So I'm going to go first, I think. Okay. Um, go on then. All right. I should have had a question. Go on then, Theo. So confident. <laughs> all right then. Here we go. This comes from James Fremantle. Fremantle. Mm-hmm. That was a weird Good pronunciation. Um, <laughs> and uh, he is among many who've asked this. Would you make wholesale changes for the trip to Zagreb or try and get the first 11 to find cohesion? I think bearing in mind, of course, that we're playing Chelsea at 12.45 on Saturday. This is the thing. Do you know what? I think I would do sort of neither one of those. I'd hedge my bets and rotate in some areas. Um, Because I think... I don't think it's as if the, the team are playing with such rhythm that I'd be too worried about disrupting it. And I think that at this time of the season, we've had the international break. A lot of the players have, have been away with their countries. A, a little bit of a rest ahead of such a big game at the weekend might not be the worst thing. So I'd want to keep the goalkeeper in place. I'd want to keep the centre-halves in place. Um, but I might be looking at rotating the full-backs, about, of, of playing Olivier Giroud up top, having rested him at the weekend. Uh, you know, maybe... Maybe even giving one of the central midfielders a, a, a game out of the team, be that Coquelin or Cazorla. Probably four or five changes just to freshen things up uh, and make sure we've got a lot of energy going into the game at Stamford Bridge. What, what about you? Yeah, I would be tempted to make some changes because I think we do have to we do have to use the squad, the depth of the squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those players have to they have to get some match. Um, time under their belts just to get them match fit, match sharp, uh, you know, to keep them involved. Otherwise, guys are going to sit on the bench every week and just get fed up. And it does affect morale. It does affect confidence, those kind of things. So I think 
a game against Zagreb probably does represent a decent chance to make a few changes without disrupting anything uh, too much. You know, uh, yeah. you could do Arteta for Coquelin. Definitely with you on the fullbacks. They both need to play a game sooner rather than later. And I know we've yep. got Capital One Cup coming up. I wonder perhaps if he might reintroduce Per Mertesacker ahead of the game against Chelsea. Uh, whether he plays him with Gabriel or plays him with Koscielny, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Giroud could start up front. Story. Go on. Sorry, just to jump in. I think I saw a story. I don't know if it's been corroborated yet. Suggesting that Mertesacker won't make uh, the trip still. Really? He's uh, got a serious chest infection. It's been 18 days in bed, apparently. Wow. So he's currently no, not expected to travel to Zagreb. This is according to Matt Barlow of the Daily Mail. Okay. Okay, well. So we shall see. We shall see. Um, so maybe that won't happen. Um, and it would then, I guess, put Mertesacker's involvement against Chelsea in some doubt. If, mm. he's, been, if he's been that ill. Wow. 18 days in bed. He was at the game, though, on Saturday against Stoke. You could see him in yeah. the stands. Um, in a bed, though. I he think was in hard. a bed, yeah. yeah. It was in a tent, yeah, actually. In a bed with him. Yeah, he was right, in a tent. Yeah, poor bastard. Yeah. Um, so what about in central midfield? Cockland, you think maybe Cockland for Arteta could be a, a change? Yeah, I think that would be a reasonable a reasonable change to make. Uh, if you want to keep Cockland uh, fresh for, for Wednesday, maybe Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well could come into the side. Yeah, I think he, he could well start and, and Giroud too. So, I mean, that in itself would be... Four changes, I think. Mm. I think it'll be in that kind of area. I don't think it'll be wholesale. No, but I mean, four is is quite a number of changes, really. It's big yeah, enough. You're not going to sure. like shuffle the whole squad around. But I think it is important that we get these guys playing, get them into the side, get them involved, because um, now it's a choice to do that. There may come a time where you know it's not an option; it's a necessity. And if they don't have any playing time under their belts, then Maybe uh, that could affect things. So, yeah, let's do that. Absolutely. I think for morale as well, you know, we've heard Matthew Debishi mouthing off about a lack of opportunities. And I think you've got to make sure that people do get playing time just to keep them feeling like part of the squad and mm. part of the team. Sure, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I think it'll be roughly that. Um, should we have another question? Yes, please. Okay. Well, actually, uh, you sort of touched on it there I suppose but this is from uh, John P. Penny and he asks when fit should Mertzaka come back into the team or has Gabriel done enough to keep his place it's a good question mm. Mm. maybe it depends on the opposition that you're playing against if you want to play a high line if you want to change the team around you know I think we do have this tendency when somebody comes in and does well to then completely write off the person who they've replaced or who they've filled in for, uh, and we forget that they're they're also a good player. Um, the Mertesacker-Kasielny partnership is one that Arsene Wenger obviously really likes. Uh, Mertesacker is the de facto captain when Arteta doesn't play, yep. hugely experienced, uh, a far better player than, than some of the pundits would have you believe. Um, we always hear, well, you know, Mertesacker, he could get exposed for pace. That very rarely happens. The balance of the back four with, with uh, Bellerin outside him, along with Koscielny and Mertesacker, whose partnership is is very solid, is really good. So, you know, I think, I think it's a really positive thing, though, that Gabriel has come in and performed the way that he's performed. Because what we didn't want was for us to be completely reliant on 
uh, two central defenders without having any good backup. We didn't want Gabriel to become a Squilacci, for example. So no. it's a it's a really positive thing that he's come in and played so well. I think he adds something a little bit different uh, to to the back four. That little bit of menace, uh, a bit cynical at times, which is good. I enjoy that. You know that he is prepared to yeah. take a yellow card. He will make a foul. There was one moment I think in the Stoke game where uh, who it was a Juve who plays up top. Um, a cross came right. in and Gabriel gave him this little nudge in the back. Uh, Juve was offside, so that was what was given. But maybe, maybe if he hadn't been offside, there might have been a, a decision there for the linesman or for the uh, for the referee to make about whether it was a penalty or not. So he, he does kind of skirt that that area of, um, of of what's good and not. There was the, the one in the Liverpool game as well. You remember where he and Benteke were kind of holding on to each other. And I think the ref looked at it and saw six of one, half a dozen of the other. Uh, but another referee might give, way, yeah, yeah. He might give it the other way. So, look, I think it's positive. Uh, Mertesacker is a great player. Gabriel looks to be a fine addition to the squad as well. It makes us uh, better defensively to have these options. So I, I'm not sure it's a case of either or. I, I'm just glad that we've got both of them. So let me give you a bit of a conundrum. Let's say mm. Mertesacker doesn't make uh, the trip to Europe in midweek mm. and he's coming uh, back to fitness just in time, say, for Thursday, Friday training. Mm. Would you... Would you be bringing him back in at the weekend or would you be keeping Gabriel in after three clean sheets on the trot? I think I'd keep Gabriel because if a guy's been sick for 18 days, there are probably yeah. physical uh, consequences of that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he might not be uh, he might not be as as, uh, as as ready as you'd like him to be. So mm. it would really depend on how, how the manager views him in training and how he feels himself. I think he would be the first guy to say if he wasn't a hundred percent. I think he mm. would he would say that. Uh, so, yeah, if he doesn't make the trip, and he is only coming back into training, I think it's sensible to stick with the Gabriel Koscielny partnership. To be honest, yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with that. Just in terms of, you know, it's that it's it's a big ask, isn't it, to come mm. straight back into a game of that magnitude, having spent all that time in your sick bed. All right, here's a question from Alex Kerwin, at Alex Kerwin. And he says, uh, Ramsey is a tremendous footballer. I don't think he suits our possession-based midfield. How can we get the best out of him, he says. For example, Ramsey leads the league for most inaccurate short passes. That's a very worrying stat for our midfield. What do you make of that? Yeah, and I, well, someone else tweeted me, uh, Ramsey tweeted me. Ramsey? Ramsey has... Yeah, he he claims I I can't corroborate this that Ramsey has the third worst pass accuracy in the entire league so far. That can't possibly be right because surely there are goalkeepers booting it miles away. That <laughs> maybe outfield players. Maybe maybe although centre forwards traditionally have very low because uh, mm. obviously they there's lots of flick ons that never go anywhere. But um, yeah, it seems that passing accuracy. I don't know, it's an area where he doesn't excel as much as our, as our other midfielders. He's certainly well behind the likes of Santi Cazorla and Francis Coquelin as Ozil in that respect. Is that because um, he maybe tries to make things happen? But then so do the others. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think like, uh, I don't know. I mean, against Newcastle, uh, he played in a central role and 
he created what was it four or five goal scoring opportunities mm. uh, and generally had a, a really good performance I think and on that day his passing accuracy was 90% yeah now it, it, it does was, drop away a bit it was 89% against Stoke and I'm just looking at the uh, the the stat zone app and this I think he completed 50 out of 56 passes and the the passes that he missed, well, it was a bit more actually. There's some, a bit more, maybe the seven, but they're all in the in the Stoke half. One, two, two of them are crosses. Two of them are inside the box. One is a one is a long pass into the box that's cut out. But there are three which are quite short passes in midfield, which which didn't meet their which didn't meet their target. But I thought Ramsey was, I thought he was good against Stoke. Um, mm. He wasn't quite as carefree as he normally is in the sense that he didn't pop up on the left-hand side very often. There seemed to be instruction for him to um, to to drift into the centre, which he does. We know that he does that, but he didn't go so far the other side. And I think that perhaps a bit more positional discipline from him allowed Bellerin to to get outside him on the right-hand side. So I thought there was a he was quite effective out there. But I think in the long term... It's hard to look at him as a, a guy who's going to be on the right-hand side or play from the right-hand side um, in, in the long term, is he? No, I don't think so. I mean, is that I mean, is that the but, key to getting the best out of him, is moving him back into the centre of midfield? Maybe, but I personally, I don't think... I don't particularly foresee that happening on a regular basis for a little while. I think in the long term, yes, I think that is his position, but I think... You know, in the midterm, he, he may have to accept that he's got to play these kinds of floating roles from the flanks mm. because because Ola and Cochrane is something that that Arsene seems very wedded to at the moment and that's working. Um, and I don't think it's a disaster for Ramsey to play wide by any stretch of the imagination. He does have freedom to drift in field, as you say, even if it mm. was somewhat restricted against Stoke. And I think he can make things happen in the final third, and to an extent, he's liberated to do that. Mm. I, I think this. Looking at these numbers, I mean, I. You know, I've I've just flicked through a couple of other performances. Crystal Palace, his passing was a bit worse, seventy-seven percent, but still four goal-scoring chances created. So, I feel like, um, you know, maybe ball retention isn't his great skill, and that's probably why he's struggling to get that space off Santi Cazorla because that is Cazorla's brilliance, isn't it? Mm. He is a, a, an amazing passer and is able to play that possession game. Whereas Ramsey, I think of more as kind of an impact player. He's more like an Alexis to me. He's someone who makes things happen rather than a continuity guy. And actually, I think that's why playing him almost as part of the front three makes sense to an extent. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I do think there's a logic to that. He's not, you know, even... No, neither he nor Jack Wilshire really are kind of the sort of Barcelona mould possession midfielders that we thought they might become. They're both people who want to run at people, try a trick, try a difficult pass, make things, force things. And uh, that's why I think we see Arsene Wenger increasingly using them in these wide attacking roles rather than as central playmakers. Mm, I think the other thing about Ramsey's passing, and I just flicked through a couple of the games myself there, is that the majority of the passes that are misplaced are forward passes. Mm. They're not square passes or, or passes backwards that are inaccurate. It seems to be when he's trying to to create or to make something happen uh, that these passes are the ones that don't come off. So maybe there's there's something to read into that as well. Uh, this is a slightly related question. I just thought it was an intriguing one. It's from mm. Misha Watson. Uh, and they asked, given our striking problems, 
Would you consider playing Urzel or Ramsey as a false number nine? No. <laughs> no, I don't think I would either. No. I don't think I would. I, I don't see any... I know Urzel's done it for Germany, but I don't really see any sort of obvious precedent for it. I don't think our striking problems are that severe. No, that's exactly why I wouldn't do it. I mean, I think we, we have options at striker. Um like as we talked about earlier Giroud has got two goals Walcott had a host of chances against uh, against Stoke didn't take as many of them as he should but he still scored a goal we can play Alexis there if we want um, so I don't see the need for uh, for that kind of a, a tactic at all I'm not sure it would be effective for us either really so my answer no. to that one is a, is a is a big no okay well you know Worth a go, wouldn't it? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> let's. Um, do you want to ask me one, or shall I ask you one? I feel like I've lost track now. I've just been throwing them out. Willy yeah. Nilly. No, that, that that was a that was a quick one. That was a quick one. So yeah. No, I'll I'll ask one. Um. Okay. A number of people have asked this uh, about the game coming up uh, against Chelsea at the weekend, and given their recent form, this one comes from Dennis Fasley, uh, amongst others. Should we go all out against them on Saturday, or sit deep and wait for the break? How should we approach this game? Hmm. I think that going going for the kill against Chelsea is a, always a dangerous game, mm. whatever their form. I think that's almost what Jose Mourinho would want you to do, you know. I, well, I worry that that might play into their hands somewhat, and that's where we've come unstuck in the past. Um, I think, I think a, a more conservative approach is no bad thing. I still think, despite their form, that a draw at Stamford Bridge will rem- would remain a positive result because it's two further points dropped for them and you know you've got a home game against them to come I think there's no reason Arsenal shouldn't go out to win the game but I don't think that uh, anything approaching a sort of cavalier approach would be sensible yeah yeah that I mean that doesn't make any sense to me I, I think there is a temptation isn't there to look at the way Chelsea are playing at the moment and think well this is a fantastic moment to really have a go at them uh, but you remember that when we went to Stamford Bridge and really had a go, or set out to mm. really have a go, it ended very, very badly indeed. Very badly. Uh, last season or the season before. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's got to be an inherent caution when you're playing against the champions at their own ground. Uh, and let's not pretend that they're not going to be working very, very hard this week in training. The manager's going to set his team up in a certain way. He'll know that this is the kind of game that if they get the right result, it could it could spark them back into life. You know, so we, we've got to be sensible. We are playing away from home against one of the best teams in the league, despite how badly they've started. So it would be for me, it would be absolutely crazy to to just go hell for leather. It really would. So yeah, uh, common sense so, uh, would suggest that you you don't do that. So that's probably what we'll do. <laughs> yeah, fullbacks, you know, on the edge of the opponent's penalty box again. <laughs> um, I, no, I, I mean, I haven't seen much of Chelsea this season, I must confess. And do you have any inclination as to what's what's going on there? Why they've dropped away quite so dramatically? Um, I think defensively they've been woeful. They've been really poor. Mm. Um, I think we saw that Jose Mourinho obviously has his concerns when he takes John Terry off uh, in a game against Manchester City. Uh, I I yeah. think uh, they're missing Cahill, aren't they? He's injured. 
Yeah, he's been out. Yeah, mm. and obviously they were they were pushing hard for John Stones, and it, it never happened. Yeah, I looked at that guy uh, Zuma against uh, against Everton, and wasn't particularly impressed. Now he's still young, and obviously got a lot of learning to do. And um, you know, we, we come back to writing players off too quickly, but I don't think he's as ready as Chelsea would like him to be uh, mm. in midfield. Creatively, they haven't uh, they haven't clicked at all. Hazard is is off the pace. Costa looks more interested in just lumbering around trying to fight people than than actually playing football. Um, <laughs> and Fabregas uh, just you know it's not happening for him at all. Did you see the Squawker tweet? No, I didn't see this. Sesc, Sesc Fabregas's game by numbers. Zero tackles won, zero aerial duels won, zero interceptions, zero assists, zero shots, zero crosses. So he's he's a guy struggling for form as well. And, uh, you know, as we know, when you have a player like Cesc Fabregas in your team who is on form, he makes things tick, he makes things happen. He sort of is uh, not the oil in the engine, but, you know, you can you can see the way that he controls a game when he's on when he's on form, when he's not. Mm. it makes it a bit more difficult for everyone else and I think they've probably just run into a a period where players are playing poorly lack of confidence results are going against them but you know they were champions with this squad last season so we'd be foolish to to look at them and think that this is going to be easy in any way on, on Saturday No something tells me that uh, Mourinho and his staff will uh yeah, as you say, be doing everything they can to ensure that mm. things pick up for them against Arsenal. So I don't think any any kind of not that anyone's suggesting that, but any kind of complacency would be incredibly dangerous. I think they're they're that's exactly what Chelsea would hope for. Yeah. to be honest with you, because they they are expert at playing that game mm. of sitting deep themselves and hitting people on the break. Yeah. Um, um, right. One more question, from you. Yeah. Which may be yeah, this may be relevant actually to the Chelsea match. Um, because Jimmy Bob Jr. at Jimmy Bob Jr. asks, I does the number name. of chances... Yeah, it's a great name, isn't mm. it? And, of course, we all remember his dad, Jimmy Bob. Uh, does the number of chances <laughs> Theo had <laughs> dispel the myth that he can't play up front versus packed defences? Uh, maybe. Maybe it, it, it speaks a bit to the creativity that we have in midfield as well. They're able to create those those chances. I mean, one of them came from a header that was saved. There was, yeah, no, he did have good chances. He really should have scored more. You know, he. So, yeah, maybe there is something to that because Stoke obviously tried to. I think they tried to play a bit more football than they should have, especially at the back. They were a bit careless in in possession and. Um, Sometimes you look at Walcott and you think, wow, that's good movement. He's in the right position. Uh, other times you're thinking, wow, you should be should be doing a bit more there. There was a couple of crosses to the near post that he, he really should have been gambling on that. Perhaps that centre-forward instinct. There was one pass actually from Santi Cazorla in the, maybe in the second half where Walcott was just outside the box or maybe a few yards outside the box and, and caught on his heels, uh, whereas if he'd been really on it from a centre-forward point of view... He would have been in uh, in behind the defence. Um, but yeah, mm. look, he had the chances. I don't know what we can read into it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, the manager seems well up for giving him a go, doesn't he? I mean, he's picked him for the last two games. 
uh, against yeah. against teams with with good physical um, central defenses. And uh, you know he's had his chances. He had chances in the in the game against Newcastle that he fluffed. He had chances in the game against uh, Stoke that he fluffed. And I guess we just have to hope that uh, you know getting the goal w- will increase his confidence a bit. Yeah, he's talking him up after the match, wasn't he? He said mm. the quality of his movement, the quality of his control, the quality of his finish was absolutely outstanding. It's a real striker's goal. Mm. I mean, it's a bit of a it's a tricky one, isn't it? I don't know if we should be more enthused about the number of opportunities you know he he managed to fashion or get into the right position for, or frustrated by his inability to take them. Maybe both. Maybe both. You know, we, we you can be both. I think. Yeah, why yeah. not? All right, okay, let's, here's... Let's, let's go both ways on it. Here's a, here's a final question for this week's Arscast Extra. It comes from Alexi Otonen. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that right. He is at Scruffkin, which sounds like a brilliant name for like a, a, a kid show about a teddy bear. Scruffkin, the right. teddy bear. I, in my head, I... Yeah, I pictured like a mangy cat. A beloved but mangy cat. <laughs> he wants to know... What job would best suit Flamini's exceptional skills at pointing at things? <sighs> Directing traffic, maybe? Yeah. I'm, I imagine him stood in the middle of a, a big intersection, just furiously indicating, like, on a day when the traffic lights are down, it's just Flamini with a sign and loads of fury. Yeah. I'd enjoy that. Um, pointing at things. Is there, like, a job where, like, you sort of, how to look out for stuff. Like up a crow's nest on a pirate ship or something. Yeah, that would be good, isn't it? Yeah, pirate, yeah, enemy coming. He could, and Ahoy. he could point in the direction. Yeah. yeah, that would be good. There she blows, mm-hmm. etc. That would be good. Pirate what about um, like a, a, a lollipop lady? That would be good. You kids go from that yeah. side over to that side. Go over there. That would be good. Do that. Yeah. Uh, help center in like a museum or an airport. Mm-hmm. Just pointing out anything. Yeah, I mean, the, he could the, be one of those guys it's, it's, who stands on the street, you know, with a with a sign. You know, those guys are standing like down this alley. There's a, a record shop that deals in like old seven inch vinyl. So he could actually become yeah. a human billboard and just point down there. Oh yeah, or one of those guys like dressed as a chicken, advertising for like a chicken shop. Yeah. You know what I mean? That would be great. Uh, those poor people on the street wearing. Dressed, yeah, wearing signs or costumes. Mm. I think that'd be good. Mm. Um, or, you know, seeing as he's Mesut Ozil's best buddy, he could just, you know, just point at Mesut Ozil constantly. For what, for what just purpose? accompany him as he walks down the street. Oh, just like, hey, just this guy. Just hey. like, hey, it's this guy. I'm with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like a kind of Fonzie point. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm, look, what, what I'm saying is he's got to find something to do because he's not going to play any football anytime soon, it seems. Well, we'll see. I, I think I would, if, if if it were me and I had carte blanche to do whatever I wanted, I would I would ensure that he got a job with the Pointer Sisters. Oh, Top musical group from the, the 1980s. You'll remember them for such hits as Automatic, Jump For My Love, I'm So Excited, and Neutron Dance. But what the Pointer Sisters lacked was some pointing. Mm. I mean, they were great. They were uh, fantastic singers, good dancers, brilliant disco tunes. But where was the pointing? There was no pointing whatsoever. And when you're called the Pointer Sisters, you're either that breed of dog or you do some pointing. Otherwise, you're pretty much going against the Trades Descriptions Act. So I would make him 
the official pointer for the Pointer Sisters. That's a great idea. You can mm. incorporate some pointing into their dance routines. Another thought on this, elephant carer. What? Now, I know we are... Someone who looks after elephants, I couldn't think of the correct word, but I, I've just recalled... Let me just see if I can corroborate this with Google. Yes. Elephants understand pointing. In 2013, it was proven by scientists... No less. They tend to know things. Yeah. That elephants understand pointing. So... Mathieu could use his gestures to communicate with these beautiful animals and lead them. An elephant shepherd. That's what he should be. Fucking brilliant. What a job. (laughs) Out there in the plains of Africa, just sort of leading a herd of elephants with a stick and a point. Brilliant. Wow. I think we've we've solved his uh, his post-football career options there. Yeah, you go a lone move to Kruger National Park in mm. January. Elephant Shepherd, brilliant. That is fantastic. All right, well, look, um, we'll leave you on that pointy note. We'll be back next mm. week to uh, discuss whatever the hell happens against Chelsea on Saturday. Yes. Uh, we'll look ahead to uh, we'll look ahead to that game on the Arscast on Friday, and obviously we'll uh, we'll go over what happened in Europe against uh, Dinamo Zagreb in midweek. So fingers crossed for all that. Catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. That's the classic. You told me.